Welcome, everybody, to another episode of The FearCast. This is the podcast dedicated to OCD and anxiety disorders, treatment, how to live your life, and uh, how to live your life with anxiety, how to live your life and try to overcome, beat, destroy, as best we possibly can, OCD and anxiety spectrum disorders. So, uh, welcome. My name is Kevin Foss. I'm your host. I'm a licensed therapist uh, here in California, and uh, uh, I am a specialist in OCD and anxiety disorders. So um, for those of you uh, new to the show, this is a question and answer based podcast for uh, for those of you who have questions about uh, how to treat OCD, how to work with it, how to uh, not let it overcome and take over your life. Uh, but it's also a podcast for family members, loved ones who have questions about helping their loved ones in the process. So um in past episodes, I've gone through questions. In past episodes, I've done uh, little mini snippet things about um, uh, about particular subtypes of OCD or different uh, uh, concepts or issues within uh, anxiety. So today, I am going to be answering a series of questions from S's mom. That is the name that uh, this person gave me. So these will be questions from S's mom. But so at the very top of the show, though, I wanted to give a little shout out to a listener named Shlomi who contacted me through the FearCast podcast page um, uh, or the FearCast page through Facebook uh, and uh, to offer some assistance with my audio interface. If you listened to last week, you got to, to hear me uh, rant and rave about how annoyed I was with uh, uh, I updated my computer software and made my audio interface completely useless. Uh, audio interface, for those of you who don't know, it's the contraption in which I, I take my microphone I plug it into the interface that converts the microphone analog signal into a digital signal. So my computer understands it. Um, it's a fancy piece of hardware. It's super fun. Eh, it's not super fun. Disneyland is a heck of a lot more fun than it, but it's important to have. So it was useless. So I ran out and I had to get a new one. So I got a new one. I plugged it in. And I've been spending the last 30 minutes trying to make my computer recognize it. So, uh, Shlomi, I know I told you that I had it fixed and that I didn't. And I thought, man, he was there. He said he could help. And I didn't take him up on the offer. <sighs> so... Again, this is the ins and outs of my life. This is the frustration that um, I have, which means I now have a half an hour less to record. So I'm in a time crunch, um, which is making me slightly anxious that I'm not going to have enough time to record and transition out and then see my next client at um, the top of the hour. Ugh, anyways, my life is so hard, everybody. That's what I'm trying to tell you. It's so hard. Oh, goodness. All right, well... Why don't we just jump into it? So first off, actually, I should, should say this. Um, for anybody interested in the podcast and you have a question for an episode, uh, go to fearcastpodcast.com. That's the website. Go there, and it'll have uh, a link. It says submit a question. You go there, and it will have all sorts of sections where you can fill out your name, the fake name that you want me to use, because you can have a little bit of anonymity, um, and ask your question. I will read it. I will organize it. And by the way, um, I should say this. I say I will get to questions, and I do. This question is an example of that. So 
I've been getting a lot more questions than I, I have in the past. So I've had to develop a new system of categorizing and organizing which ones, which questions have been answered or addressed or um, that I, I needed to do something else with. So I developed that and in the process of doing so, I realized that there have been a couple that I've overlooked. So this is one of them. So um, S's mom, I apologize for how long it has taken for me to answer this question. And it has happened for two reasons. One, uh, I, I, I lost it, and I'm, I'm sorry. Two, there's a little section in the middle that I was a little um, anxious to answer, a little hesitant. I've been trying to coordinate with a professional uh, in that arena to try to answer the question, but alas, they fell through. So here I am. I'm going to do my darndest to answer this question. But for those of you, if I missed your question, I apologize. Uh, submit it again. Please recognize that I'm not perfect. I'm not a professional podcaster. Uh, I'm a professional therapist, so I'm going to do my best to try to answer the question. But um, I'm, you know, I'm balancing stuff. Sometimes um, emails and uh, questions and a lack of organization make things fall through the cracks. So I appreciate your patience. All right. Enough of my yammering. Let's get to the question. So here's how it's going to go. I'm going to read. It goes kind of uh, a, a little explanation, question, and then I'll answer. And then I'll go a little explanation, question, and answer. And that's how it typically goes. So this is a question from, as I mentioned, S's mom. So I don't know who S is, and I don't know S's mom's name. So it's S's mom. So here we go. I have several questions. I don't expect you to answer all of them, perhaps over time. I'm going to answer all of them today, S's mom. All right. My daughter and I met you at the Southern California OCD Conference. We really enjoyed your presentation there and have loved listening to the FearCast. Thanks. Thank you for helping us as we try to learn more. All right. So, uh, well, again, thank you so much. My daughter has OCD. She was diagnosed at age 13. Parenthetically, she says now she's 15. In hindsight, many signs and symptoms were always present. She was always very anxious, often seemed distracted. However, around 13, her presentation really exacerbated. She couldn't sleep because of harm, OCD dreams, and unreasonable fears about war, etc. She had a lot of counting and corner-touching compulsions. Her function really decreased. Although we knew we had a fearful child, this level of worry was very different qualitatively. This brings me to my first question. Number one, do OCD symptoms tend to, quote, jump in adolescence? And does the OCD diagnosis become more clear with other families around that time? All right. So, um... OCD symptoms generally appear in kind of the mid to late teens and usually before age 25. Now, there's going to be a lot of research done on this, and there's going to be a wide range of, uh, of, of, of ages of onset for this that, uh, that have been pointed out in the literature. Um, the average age can range from kind of late elementary school, so uh, sometimes around 10, to the average age in the mid-teens, uh, kind of they said kind of mid-20s, mid uh, all the way up to the mid-20s. But again, and there were these different ranges from some of the studies that I had read. Um, most studies find that the average age of onset is slightly earlier for women than men, but, but not by much, usually by like one, maybe two years is the age, that age of onset that they identified as. 
there are examples, obviously, of people who have been diagnosed with OCD um, as young as like five. I mean, I think I've, this is more of um, anecdotally, I think I've heard some other clinicians talking about treating someone as young as five or, you know, around that area, uh, five, seven, something like that. Um, but, you know, I also hear stories about people not experiencing the onset of, of genuine OCD symptoms until much later on in life. But again, most likely or m most typically, it is mid-teens, early 20s. So, I mean, 13, 15, it's kind of, kind of, kind of on target. So, to the second part of your question, you said, uh, um, well, I, I guess I'm, I'm unsure about exactly what you mean by, when you say, uh, more clear for other families around that time. So, I'm a little confused if you want to email me again and clarify what you are meaning by that. Um, that would be fantastic. One thing that ought to be considered with the age of diagnosis uh, could be the education of parents and the education of healthcare providers in being able to recognize the signs and symptoms of the, of the disorder uh, to then be able to help guide the parent or the clinician uh, to the right diagnosis and therefore to the right treatment. With more education and understanding the details of the symptoms or kind of the more subtle signs of the presentation of OCD, uh, and again, I'll say of anxiety disorders as well, um, the, the, the more educated a clinician or a family member is, the better able they, they are to identify it, which again makes it sound like they're diagnosed uh, at a younger and younger age, but it could also just be that they're identifying it and not misdiagnosing it as oppositional defiant disorder or as, um, you know, childhood schizophrenia or, you know, uh, other things or, you know, PTSD, things like this, which again, there may be those things going on for some of these folks, but sometimes OCD can be misdiagnosed, especially in younger kids. Oftentimes when younger kids have uh, uh, anxiety and OCD symptoms, it can present itself as anger issues or as self-control issues uh, uh, or even ADHD issues. Um, but uh, with further diagnosis, better education for the clinicians and for the parents to be able to diagnose it, and then that leads to a uh, faster uh, treatment. So that's all speculation as to what perhaps you were asking about. Uh, if not, more information, there you go. All right, so the second question. So she has three total. The second question, get information, question, my answer. All right. The medication my daughter takes has put a lot of weight on her in a relatively short period of time. She is a teenager, and like most girls this age, she's very worried about this weight gain. We are reticent to change her medication because it works well for her. I've been reading a lot about avoiding diets with teens because it can create issues around food and lead to some eating problems. However, I've also read that if weight gain isn't addressed in adolescence, it can be very difficult to manage later. Both our daughter's mental health and physical health are important to us. Exclamation point. We've started more regular exercise, and we are considering a medically supervised pediatric weight control program. My question is... Can focus on eating and or food, even and then parenthetically, even with a focus on health rather than weight and issuing a, quote, diet, uh, can the focus on this exacerbate OCD symptoms or create food slash body obsessions? We don't want to create a new problem while trying to manage this issue. Should we maybe not do the weight program? All right, so S's mom, this was the question that I was uh, struggling with, and, and, and here's why. I'm not an eating disorder specialist. I, I, 
I, I guess I know a little bit about it. Um, I, I certainly recognize that uh, that this, like OCD, uh, it does take a lot of special training and understanding of it. And and uh, to be frank, I haven't put a lot of that effort into it because I just haven't specialized in it. So. Um, First and foremost, um, I think this question ought to be lobbed at an eating disorder specialist, uh, if you have the chance. So throwing that out there to that person, they may be able to give you a better answer. Now, I'm going to do my best to try to give you some of my thoughts on it. OCD is a bit of a tricky monster. Uh, it's impossible to tell whether um, discussing health or weight or diet or anything else is going to result in an obsession later in life. We just simply, we just don't know. We can't tell. That said, I, I feel pretty confident in saying that focusing on food or eating won't exacerbate OCD symptoms by itself, but whether it will produce a food or body obsession is going to be tough to tell. Now, of course, these previous statements don't take into account the details or the, uh, of the obsessions in the particular subtype she's dealing with, nor does it take into account whether or not she has had a previous uh, um, eating disorder, disordered eating, uh, diagnosis or treatment, or just struggles with weight in general. So there's a lot of this that I have to speculate on. Um, but all, all things being equal, um, I, it, it, it's tough to think that talking about weight, focusing on health, things like that, will specifically exacerbate OCD symptoms. But again, I, I don't really know if it's going to have an impact or a significant impact uh, on, on her food or body obsessions. Now, I, I, I do agree that focusing on the concept of, of health in general is, is likely a good idea. Uh, I think it's a good idea for pretty much everybody. But um, uh, if, if that is a consideration for her, um, and if that's something she does want to think about, well, um, get Getting the family together on a general goal of health is not the worst idea out there. And again, by uh, by healthy, we want to include you know uh, balanced eating and exercise and a lifestyle focused on general health. Now, this is going to include reducing alcohol use, reducing tobacco, sleeping well, low stress, mindfulness, stuff like that. One thing to consider, perhaps, is that um, your daughter is taking a medication that is already making her weight gain weight. So the issues of whether she will be overweight or will be at an unhealthy weight later on in life is skewed by her current medication. So even if you attempt a weight loss program, even if you were to try one, you're, you're already fighting an uphill battle because you're adding something in that is, that is uh, uh, in a sense, uh, unnaturally increasing her, her weight. Given the medication's ability to make someone put on weight disproportionate to their exercise level of food intake, the amount of diet and exercise uh, is likely to be, to, to quote, get her back to where she was, if, 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 if that's the case, um, is likely to be well beyond what the average person would need to do to make similar progress in that arena. So, uh, therefore, Potentially, this could create unrealistic expectations and, and uh, uh, contribute to an unrealistic expectation. So perhaps acknowledging this confounding variable, i.e. The, the medication, can be a good start. Then refocusing you and your daughter's goals on overall health, OCD treatment, and also other activities such as extracurricular stuff, hobbies, volunteering, general fun teen stuff to help her recognize that her value is not in her weight, no matter what conditions she's under, medication or not, gained weight or not. 
she's more than her weight. She's more than what a silly number on a scale says, or a silly number to guide what size our clothing is. The very last assumption in this, by the way, is that she has indeed gained a lot of weight. So I, I can't see her. I didn't know what she looked like before. I don't know what she looks like now, or I don't know what weight she's at, nor do I know if that, if that weight gain has impacted her health in any way. So something to consider is whether or not her, her weight is actually impacting her health and has a, has a medical professional said she has uh, an, an issue with weight or she has gained a significant amount of weight that is having a problem or is leading to a problem with overall health. So, because, you know, sometimes we when we gain even a little bit of weight or our pants are a little bit tighter, we go, oh, no, I've gained so much weight and this is terrible. And, and I look so we use terrible words about ourselves, uh, negative words to describe what we look like um, when sometimes that is a, a, a overgeneralization, a bit of overkill with w w how much weight we've actually gained. Um, so that is something to consider in this. And um, uh, again, I, I, I would refer you back to the doctor. And I don't know if this, this um, let's go back to that note. Uh, I don't know if this, this, this weight program is guided by your doctor, suggested by your doctor, recommended by them, or if this is just something you're considering. But I wanted to give you all of that to think about. Now, I will say this before I get on to the last question. I love the FearCast podcast listenership. There's so many people out there, literally thousands of people out there across the world listening to this. Some of you are professionals. Some of you are in the trenches of these various disorders yourselves. So if I missed something and some of you are, are uh, eating disorder specialists or have something to add on this, please shoot me an email and let me know because I do want to add this little bit in. If I missed something and you say, Kevin, you completely missed it. This is the worst advice you could have ever given. Great. I will edit this episode for the future and I will tack this on or I'll tack it on to a future episode. Uh, but I, I, I want to make sure that this is that this information is the best possible. So go to fearcastpodcast.com, shoot me a message there. Um, feel free with something like that. You can also message me through Instagram. I'm fearcastpodcast over there. Message me there. I'll get it. I, I hope. All right. Okay. Last question. S's mom asks, I've listened to two recent interviews of people with OCD. Both were adults. When asked about their fears and obsessions, both refused to say what they were. These were both very accomplished people who were managing their OCD well. They didn't even want to say why they couldn't share what their thought spirals were. My daughter often does this too. I'm wondering, why is this? Is it embarrassing, kind of like a stigma thing? Or does it tend to trigger an obsessive loop for other people? Or is it for other reasons? All right, so Essa's mom, this is a this is a great question and great observation. Um, it, 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 I can certainly be kind of a maybe frustrating for a family member uh, who who knows some of the details about what's going on with someone's obsessions, um, and and perhaps wondering if there is this stigma or shame or guilt involved with these obsessions uh, that's causing uh, their loved one to kind of seemingly isolate or seemingly hide from telling somebody or sharing. Um, what, what's going on in, in their life. But 
uh, it's helpful to remember that that sharing these details um, and even even the general existence of one's obsessions is a very very personal thing. Uh, people are entitled to share however much or however little they want to about these obsessions. And again, th- this can all vary depending on situation and in context and in personal comfort level. Um, e- even within one's family, they share this information with these family members, but not these other family members. But Everyone has their own reasons why they would or why they would not share any bit of information about their anxiety. Furthermore, I mean, let's just think about the information that that we share with strangers versus our close and longtime friends, and again, our family members. I mean, we, we usually save the most intimate, personal information about ourselves with those who are closest to us, and also, I think this is important, and have earned the right to know this vulnerable information. And this trust, again, is earned over time by sharing small bits of information and kind of seeing how that person reacts. And then depending on how they respond, they might earn the right to learn a little bit more and go a little bit deeper. And, I, and I'll say this, I, not only do I think this is normal, I think this is actually emotionally responsible. Um, and that is not to undercut some, some folks out there who, who, are, who are just open books, who are going to tell everybody they meet the most intimate details of their obsessions, their thoughts, their struggles, you know, all, all, the, all that stuff. It's a personality type. It's a personality style. It's, a, it's, a, it's an interactional style and preference. So some people are going to be very, very open. Some people are going to be very reserved with that. Um, my, my personal feeling is, is what I previously mentioned, is that we, we start with new people at a very shallow level. We tell them a little bit about ourselves, um, and we kind of see how they react. We see if they are judgmental. We see if they are going to question us or attack us or use this information nefariously against us, because unfortunately, there are people. I'll use that. I'm not going to use colorful language today. There are people out there who will use that information against you to attack you, to undermine you, um, to try to hurt you in some sort of way. It's not to say this is everybody, but there are some people out there and... I think it's wise for us to be cautious, but not closed off. So when we share this bit of information, you know, small bits, we see how they react. Is this someone who's, you know, who, who can take this information and, and closely guard it? Or, or, are they, or are they going to, you know, handle it poorly? Are they going to disagree with you and say mental health doesn't exist, OCD is just in your head or something like that in the very derogatory, dis, uh, uh, demeaning sort of way? So that may be one reason why these people are, are holding back. Now, getting back to the original question. Now, some some actually may be holding back the details uh, to help others out. So, I mean, online you'll see a lot of people if they're about to share some things. I see this on Reddit all the time, like the the, the title of their their little spiel. Uh, they will say, uh, like, trigger warning, HOCD content, trigger warning, POCD content, stuff like that. Uh, and, and it can be a warning to others out there who are a little bit more sensitive in their progress or uh, 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 having trouble that maybe they want to not read that one right now. And, and so that's one person trying to help somebody else. Excuse me. That may be that person trying to help someone else out. So that's, that's another reason why. So similarly to the previous point, uh, some people uh, may not want to talk about their details outside of the initiated OCD community. So kind of, you know, us listen to this podcast, you kind of all know. Um, 
but people might want to men- might not want to mention it because the average person sometimes just doesn't get it. The the uninitiated to all, all this world um, can can respond terribly. And again, I'll say sometimes um, they can respond kind of not how we want them to. They can respond not how we want them to to stuff that that you and I all know is just kind of plain old obsessions that we generally don't take as a fact. I'll periodically hear these kind of stories, and and I think that you know some of you out there may have heard stories like this or even been in therapeutic situations like this with someone who wasn't an anxiety therapist. We're talking about kind of intrusive gay thoughts, and they're met with speculation about, you know, is that person actually gay, and and should they explore uh, their obsessions, Um, which is terrible advice for someone with HOCD, right? We all know that, but if you talk about those things, some people go, oh, maybe you're actually gay, maybe you're thinking about it, maybe you should explore it, something like that, right? Or if someone expresses doubts about a relationship, others can interpret that to think that the relationship is their relationship is actually bad and they should break up or they should go see a couples therapist or something to that effect, and they can they can respond very strongly. Um, and again. This sharp response is is terrible advice for someone with ROCD, right? And by the way, just think about how people respond if you were to talk about pedophile-focused intrusive thoughts. Religious folks have learned not to talk about their doubts uh, amongst religious communities because they often don't respond very compassionately. Now, of course, all this is broad generalizations and, and, and is not everybody's case. It's definitely not. But I think it punctuates the need for us to test out the waters with people to see if they're trustworthy and if they're going to be a trustworthy recipient of that information. So lastly, I want to bring it back to you, S's mom. Ask, ask her. Ask S. Ask why she doesn't share. You know what? She might tell you. She may say she doesn't want to freak other people out. She may say it makes her uncomfortable to talk about it uh, with other people who don't know her because, you know, she doesn't know how people are going to respond, if they're going to judge her or think that she's crazy or, you know, stuff like that. You know what? She may also respond by saying it's nunya. If you don't know what that is, it's nunya business. She may respond with that. And you know what? It's her prerogative. It's her choice. It's her information. It's her news. So she can roll it out at the at the at the speed and the pace, and the style and the manner in which she wants. So now, obviously, for everybody out there, I'll encourage you to practice being candid and open with a clinician um, to to take the risk to let them know if they are a trained professional. Let them know because I I, I can't tell. You, I've I've had a number of people come into an assessment and say, hey. I've got these obsessions and I really need help. And I go, great. What are they? And they go, I don't really want to even talk about it. It's unhelpful for me. I can kind of approach it, but it's really, really hard. So I'll encourage you to take the risk with some folks. But you know what? S's mom, S might be holding back for a lot of personal reasons. Ask her. And she may not want to tell you. And that's all right. All right, everybody. And you know what? That's the end of the question. So S and S's mom, thank you so much for listening to the show. Uh, it, it means the world to me that you would trust me with these sort of questions. Um, I hope I answered them as as best I as well as I could. I hope that I hope that this information helps you at least a, a little bit. 
Um, and again, if anybody out there has any other feedback for what they would say to S's mom or what they what information they might want to send to, to S, um, shoot, shoot it to me in an email and uh, I will add it to a future episode. Maybe even do if there's enough of them, I'll do a follow up episode. So, so S's mom, uh, best of luck and uh, thanks so much for the question. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for making it through this episode. Um, I'm getting used to my my new little interface, so I probably had some clipping issues. If I did, I apologize. Um, and uh, I also just realized halfway through this that um, I had a, a, a leaf blower um, in my back pocket this whole time, and it's been incredibly obnoxious. So. Um, I'm, I'm only mentioning that because I hate it when I hear stuff like that on a podcast, and I'm sure no one cares. But anyways, there you go. So everybody, thank you so much for making it through this episode. If you have a question for a future episode, go over to fearcastpodcast.com. Uh, send me a question there. If you have some feedback for me about this episode, want to offer some ideas, or just tell me I'm wrong go over to Fearcast Podcast and send it to me there. Um, If you like the show, it would mean the world to me if you would uh, uh, review the show, like the show, write a little blurb about it. That would be great. Um, It it only helps uh, other people find the episode or uh, find the show and to uh, uh, learn some more information about uh, OCD and anxiety treatment there. As a bit of housekeeping news, I've been getting a t- I've been getting a lot of questions. I've been getting a lot of questions about ROCD and sensory motor stuff, which is fantastic. But there may be a couple of weeks and maybe even a couple of months where the majority of the questions are going to be about those sort of things. So if you would like me to not talk about those things and talk about other things, shoot me an email and I'll try to pepper those in so we can kind of keep it pretty broad. Um, But uh, I'm trying to work out some uh, a more broad bit of information for you so it doesn't get too monotonous too quickly. All right. So, as a reminder, everybody, please remember the FearCast podcast is not a substitute for psychotherapy. If you have any questions about treatment and uh, you need a little bit more support, go over to FearCastPodcast.com. There's going to be a little section that says uh, uh, f- uh, find help. Uh, click that. There'll be some information, some links there that may be helpful for you. All right. Until next time, everybody, take a risk, challenge yourself, and don't take your brain too seriously. Bye. Bye.